0: So far as the GAA are concerned, in this matter, it's nothing to do with the individual teams. This is to do with the GAA protecting its own rules, protecting its own reputation. Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Mike Quirk podcast. Now give me my theme music. This series is brought to you with the help of PST Sport. PST Sport is a design and build specialist contractor focusing exclusively on the design and construction of artificial grass pitches and supporting infrastructure for soccer, GAA, rugby, hockey and tennis. PST's portfolio includes over 50 FIFA-certified artificial grass pitches as well as multiple pitches tested and approved for World Rugby, GAA and FIH standards. PST Sports have done over 500 artificial grass pitches for clubs, schools, colleges and local authorities in Ireland and the UK for all different sporting codes. Visit pstsport.com for more details. Welcome again, everybody, to what is our final episode of the series, where we've tried to take a slightly closer look at coaching and see if we can all find different ways to improve what we do. Uh, I'm delighted to say that that thanks to the generosity of of you and and the people that have listened, we've raised a few thousand euros uh, with every cent raised going directly to Recovery Haven in Tralee County, Kerry, who are an incredible community-based organization that provide free cancer support services for the people of Kerry and beyond. Uh, While this is the last episode, I'm going to leave the fundraiser run for another couple of weeks before shutting it down. So I'm encouraging anybody who has listened and found some kind of value in the content of the conversations, you still have time to donate to a very, very worthy cause through the link in the podcast description below or on my Twitter page or social media at Mike Quirk. And again, every single cent goes directly to Recovery Haven, who. You know, until until you have to call in their services and you have to utilize them, you probably don't appreciate it as much, especially if you're not based in Truley or Kerry. So, uh, again, that that is going to stay open for a couple of weeks. So, feel free to contribute still while while that's open. Uh, okay, so getting on to this episode, look, the the last series I would have wrapped up in a similar way to this. Uh, as these roll out and different guests come on and and. Uh, People send in different queries to me through social media, through the email, through different things um, about the guests, about different points that they make, questions about what they're talking about or or different research um, or or stuff just generally about your own context within coaching, whether you're coaching at under sevens or nines or you're coaching at 18s and 21s. So I've tried to put a few of those together. I've taken a few kind of common ones and, and we'll try and tackle those over the next little bit. Okay, Um, it is much easier when there's somebody else here fielding questions and doing a lot of the talking as well, but when I'm on my own, it's a little bit stranger. So anyway, I'm going to get straight into it with these questions because there were some of these were were common and and I picked out the ones that I thought were were most interesting that maybe we'd learn a little bit something from. So uh, question one from Sean, who sent me an email, listening to all the coaches, excellent series so far, by the way, it's obvious that there is a growing need for coaches to become better communicators and have better people skills. But how can they be developed if that side of things is not really being covered in the coaching courses? Now, Sean, you've probably heard me bemoan the fact that I think a lot of the coaching courses that are being done by the national governing bodies are not hugely fit for purpose um, because of that very reason. I, I, I think they are still heavily weighted towards the technical and tactical, which is fine and that stuff has to be covered um but the real secret sauce of coaching the real secret sauce of keeping children playing the game for longer getting the most out of adults at a, at a higher level is about being able to have good people skills being a good communicator um getting you know people to trust what you're doing being trustworthy um and how do you put that across to people and how, how are you, you know, how are you honestly dealing with people? How are you talking to them about stuff away from the pitch or the basketball court or the rugby pitch? How are you interacting with them about their family or their work or their life or their college or their exams or their girlfriend or boyfriends or what whatever it is? It's about it's about the people that are involved in it. Coaching is a is a social interaction between people. It's not it's not somebody with a clipboard shouting about a drill or a, or a particular game. Coaching is about getting the most out of the people that you work with. It's as simple as that. It can be sport, it can be business, it can be anything you want. That is that is essentially what, what coaching is. And We complicate it sometimes and, and, and obviously the higher up you go, it becomes more technical and tactical, um, but whatever level you're dealing with, no matter if it's under sevens or, or if it's international rugby or soccer or basketball or whatever, it's still all about the people and and what kind of an environment that you can create with those people that they want to be as good as they can possibly be every time you train and every time you play a game. So to go back to the question, if it's not being covered in the coaching courses, I thought Paddy Talley made a great point in, in, in his episode where he spoke about the fact that his family have, have, a, have a pub and, and he's worked in that pub and he's dealt with 18-year-olds to 80-year-olds uh, and it's the greatest education you ever got because you're dealing with people constantly. And, and it's, and it's the same thing here. It's about, if it's not covered in the coaching course, well then, well then, if you're working with your under 17s, you got to throw yourself into it. You got to immerse yourself in it and you've got to just try. You got to ask questions. You got to have fun. You, you've got to talk to them about all sorts of stuff, um, and not just focus on, okay, it's got to be the solo. It's got to be the throw or the catch or the pass or the whatever, um, it's the other stuff is how you win them over, and and being being an honest and straight up person obviously makes things a little bit easier. So you have to have you know like Ron Lagaro would have spoke about you you have to have a, a high level of of uh, of honesty yourself, I suppose, if you want other people to display those kind of characteristics. So I think that's the that's the main thing. Obviously, it would be great if those national governing bodies started to 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 spend more time, you know, equipping people with the skills to interact with people and and to understand that it is a social interaction between people and that's what coaching is um but in the absence of that you're just going to have to get to your sessions you're going to have to work with the people you are and you're just going to have to develop skills by by throwing yourself into it and finding out exactly what it is that makes them tick and once you have that information that's the stuff that really matters the rest of the stuff you know that's fine it's important it's it's good but it's nothing. It's nothing like the quality of the relationships that you can build when you actually get to know people. Um, so, Sean, yeah, thanks for that one. That was that was um, that's an important one and a common one that probably ran through a lot of them. Okay, I'll, I'll jump on to the second one, uh, Stephen. I coach basketball. Uh, I really enjoyed Alan Keane's take on the whole process. Any specific advice for coaching underage basketball? Um, no, I don't. I I haven't ever actually really coached basketball, Stephen. I I would have played basketball, uh, and I've spoken over the course of these two series to some really accomplished basketball coaches, even going back as far as Russ Bradbury and um, Nick Potter, who's worked over in in Duke University basketball, and Keene obviously in this series, and uh, and different people. And 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 again, I don't think the game, I don't think the game particularly matters, Stephen. I I I think at this stage. We understand that coaching is kind of made up of three main areas, and that's your technical and tactical, and then and then the other side that I was just talking about a minute ago are those what I call the people skills. Um, I think they are the they are the three key components of, of coaching. There's lots of other stuff, and you can get more technical, and um, you know look at all the physical development aspects of different things, and that's that's you know you know that's probably outside of my remit. That's not my area of expertise. But in terms of the actual nuts and bolts of coaching, it is technical and tactical and, and, and people skills. That's that's what it's all about. Um, and again, whether it's whether it's basketball or it's rugby or it's soccer, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's about keeping kids playing. And if you're talking about coaching, I don't think you mentioned what age group you're coaching, but whatever age group you're coaching. Like when I go and I watch my kids play and I see them standing behind cones uh, or I see other people's kids standing behind cones waiting for a go... That's the stuff that 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 isn't what we want to we want to see as coaches. We want to make sure that if a kid is at our session, if that's a basketball session, we want to make sure that every kid is a ball for as long as they possibly can. Donny Kieran Danny spoke about his camps. He might have 150 kids for three hours in his camp. But when they're doing stuff with a ball, every single kid is bouncing a ball or passing a ball or shooting a ball that everyone has a ball all the time. We're not standing behind lines of 10 or 15 people. We want kids, if they're with us for 50 minutes, for 60 minutes, we want them as active as we possibly can have them for all that time. So if you're a coach in basketball and you've only got 10 or 12 kids, you need to have 10 or 12 balls. Those kids need to be bouncing left hand, right hand, everywhere they want to go, up and down the floor. If you're shooting layups and you've got most halls now have probably – two, four, six baskets, probably two side courts, and you're running, shooting layups and jump shots and bank shots and every kind of shot in every ring. Um, and then you're playing games. If you've got 12 kids, instead of playing one game, which you know I've seen coaches play six on six, you play two small-sided games, three versus three, three versus three. And if you're playing three versus three, and this is the same for soccer, football, rugby, if you're playing small-sided games where the number of the participants is lower Every child is getting more touches of the ball. They're then having to make more decisions. They're getting to increase their 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 game IQ, where they're they're making those decisions in real game time. So they're seeing a pass. They're seeing when they should shoot. They're seeing what they should do defensively. Whereas if they're in a game with bigger numbers, they're getting less touches, less decisions to make, and it's not it's not improving their game as quickly as we would like. So small sided games loads of touches of the ball. Throw away the cones. We don't need them for basketball training, for a lot of football training, for a lot of rugby training, a lot of soccer. Cones are a bit of a distraction. We we can we can do a huge amount here by maximizing the number of touches every kid is getting when we're doing a little skill set stuff and then by maximizing the number of touches and decisions they have to make by playing small sided games with small numbers. I'm um, not really sure if that answers your question Stephen but I think it's. I, I really think it's an easy fix by throwing lots of balls and lots of lots of uh, lots of games. That's what they want. And then you throw in a couple of shooting games. You have a bit of fun, and you make sure everything is a bit of crack. Because ultimately, you know, if you're talking about underage stuff, you know, the only way that you'll really be measured is if you start out with 20 kids this year or, or 12 kids for a basketball team, and and you still have 12, or you've picked up one or two along the way. Well, then obviously, you know, you've you've done a pretty good job. Um, and 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 I wouldn't get too hung up, obviously, on on the results or or uh, or whatever else happens, which are under nines or elevens or thirteens basketball. Let's let's focus on on developing the skills, developing those true games, making sure that we can we can really improve their decision making as much as we can through gameplay, uh, and and keep them playing, keep them playing as long as you possibly can, and everything after that, you know, normally kind of takes care of itself as they as they keep going up the line. Uh, okay. Next one. Uh here we go. I found fits Fitz's episode fascinating. Um I've tried to find a little bit more out about the whole idea of bio banding. Uh I think it could really help my club. So it's probably more of a statement than a than a question. So for those of you who have listened to fion Fitz, um, you know, he's doing he's a he's a lecturer in MTU Kerry, former captain of the of the Kerry senior football team. Um and Fiona's doing some fascinating research on and that whole concept of bio banding. And he spoke at great length about the whole idea of uh, maturation, physical maturation specifically. Uh, and his research was touching on the development squads in Kerry and some in Cork and looking at kids that are early developers or late developers. Um, and and uh, it was probably nothing that you wouldn't expect. But a lot, the vast, vast majority of the kids in development squads, GA development squads, these are are all kind of early physical matures, sort of the kids who have got bigger, faster than everybody else, and and they're able to, you know, have a a, a predicted. They're able to estimate a predicted adult height and how many of these kids are very, very close to that prediction or are, are, are close to that predicted adult height compared with compared with other kids. So I think there was something like one, uh, I might be misquoting them now, but something like one late developer in the whole squad system in, in both counties, which means that, you know, we knew that already, but we're picking the kids at those age groups who are the biggest, strongest, fastest um, at under 13, at 15 and, and 16 and so on. Um, and fion 's research is looking at you know how can we keep all of those kids playing? How can we keep the late developers playing, and how can we keep those uh, early physical matures? How can we keep them challenged it, it 's very easy obviously if you 're the biggest and strongest under fourteen to you know burst past everybody on the pitch if you 're if you 're a foot taller and you 're a stone heavier well, then your physical prowess is is enabling you to be dominant in that game. Whereas Fionn's point and, and the whole concept of biobanding is maybe looking at, okay, how can I get the guys that are really physically developed early and and could we play a little bit against maybe an age group above who are maybe not as physically developed or physically advanced? So maybe the fifteen or sixteen-year-olds who are the late matures, uh, and maybe the fourteen-year-olds or fifteen-year-olds who are the early matures. So we're it, it was almost like matching kids, just for not not that you would be doing it. Um, you know, every session or anything like that. But, you know, Fionn's whole thing was about maybe doing it once or twice a month where you're matching a couple of those kids on a, on their physical prowess as opposed to their their birth cert. And that they're then playing those games and what they found by the research that they did, did through Kerry G.A. and with Cork was that those kids were really challenged in ways that they weren't in, in the traditional age grade uh, football. So the big kids playing against the big kids now had to develop you know, better skills on the ball or better decision making because they simply couldn't plow through everybody all the time. The smaller kids or the or the late developers, as Fionn called them, those guys now were having far more success in their game because they were playing against people who were of a physical, uh, similar physical level to themselves. So now they were able to display the skills and, and, and you know, beat people or defend people or whatever it was. Um, so they were matched on their physical maturation as opposed to their birth cert. And you know it's obviously um it's difficult it's not that difficult to do, but it's difficult to you know once you find the knowledge i suppose it's it's important to do it the right way and and again Fiona has already said that you know he's happy for people to reach out to him, his research is still ongoing and and hopefully there'll be more stuff coming on stream in in the next year or so um but really really fascinating and and I'd, I'd encourage anybody who hasn't listened to it if you are involved in 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 teenage sport or youth sport really really interesting stuff about you know the growth spurt years and and how it affects kids physically kids that might be really really impressive in their sport at, at 12 or 13 or 14 years of age and suddenly they hit a growth spurt um their limbs lengthen uh, and then weight comes on the muscle comes on after that and and suddenly you might see a, a level of of um you know coordination might deteriorate for a little spell and you know suddenly the kids that look really really athletic and really talented now are struggling a little bit to solo or to catch or to jump or to shoot or whatever it might be um so really really good stuff there for parents and for coaches of those youth age groups that I would really encourage people to go back to so um bio banding yeah it's really really fascinating stuff and and I would hope you know, certainly the way things are going in the next 12 months, that there'll be a lot more kind of information there for clubs that, you know, they can say, okay, whether it's basketball or rugby or, or whatever, let, let's have a look at this because it's a, it's a really, if you're a, if you're one of those late developing kids who physically struggles in the game with the big, strong kids who dominate everything and get all the touches and the scores and then it's it's difficult to keep motivated to keep coming back when you don't see any light at the tunnel and to say, ah, oh, look, maybe in a couple of years' time when you grow. But if you are giving those kids an opportunity to play against other children of a similar physical stature and know they, they're experiencing a little bit more success because they they can they do have time to develop their skills without getting bashed out of the way straight away. Um, so it's a really, really interesting thing to look at those age groups. And, and they're obviously the key age groups that we see across the board in all sports with children who drop out of sport in in those early teen years so anything that can be done to increase the knowledge and awareness of coaches and parents around those growth sports years but also to provide something really tangible for the kids that say you know what today is going to be a bio banded session so like we're going to work on the kids here who are in certain height or um certain weight or whatever it might be uh and and really work on that and i think that would be something new and, and and really interesting for the kids to get into as well you know uh okay, so Martina. Martina asked me from talking to all the various guests what is the top few priorities heading into a new season. Martina, I'm not sure what, what sport it is or um where it is you're you're coming from, but um from talking to all the guests I think the guests uh first of all, you know, I think I've had some some fantastic guests. I've been so happy to have the quality of the people that have taken the time out of their own schedule and um, and just kind of openly given uh, some really really good information to coaches um, and people of all of all sports and stuff. I mean, even go back to Tony Griffin, who is the performance coach with Kerry and, and former All Star hurler with Clare. Um, you know tony is doing some incredible stuff for for teenage kids and and for that kind of age group and spoke so powerfully about you know how we need to how we need to look out for those kids and how we need to do more to really you know be a guiding kind of hand for for them as they go and you know brilliant brilliant stuff out of him and then you had all the physical maturation stuff with Fionn and it went down went down from there to you know Frank Dick who who OBE in in, in the UK who's worked with some unbelievable athletes along the way Olympics and international rugby with Eddie Jones and different things Ron Nogara obviously recently Paddy Talley who who's obviously coaching Kerry and would have we'll coached Tyrone and managed, um, down. And, uh, there was just, there was just so many, really, really good quality people. So, uh, from all the various guests, Martina, I think, I think a lot of the, the, the stuff that I took from a lot of the conversations would have been, uh, decided I spoke about already is the kind of people skills. Uh, I think, I think that has kind of shone through all of them. um, yeah, there's people that, you know, say this is a really good game and, and these games are really important because it puts kids in positions where, you know, they see something that they're going to face in a game, in a, in a real scenario. So So games-based coaching is something that, that we know about is there and it's very very important and and there is a shift away completely from not completely I shouldn't say that from drills based coaching so just drills still have a, a a part to play within coaching and we all know that um but its part has has become a little bit uh, lesser. Over the years, I'd say, uh, and games-based coaching or a constraints-led approach to coaching, where where we have to put different little constraints or, or, or different conditions on games, uh, we we lessen the numbers, we change the pitch dimensions, uh, and we and we you know have plenty of repetitions of that, where people get opportunities to to see what they're going to face ahead of them, um, and again, that like the number one thing that we find in games at any level. You know that, that what separates the really really good from the really really great is ultimately their decision making so their skill set is a is a big part of it but we all know players who are hugely talented hugely skilled but, at crucial times, make poor decisions or what we think are poor decisions and gives a ball away or try a pass that's not on or take a shot from a poor angle that should never be taken what whatever it is so by games based coaching and by playing those games over and over and over again, we're giving people that that opportunity to really sharpen that that game i q that game intelligence or that decision making aspect of it so like that's that's we know we know that's there, and that's probably the that's probably the crucial kind of Technical aspect to it. The tactical is is very it, it's very sport specific. Obviously, you gotta find who, what is your team, what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, what are you trying to achieve, you know, what are you capable of of getting out of them, and then you you design a, a you know a, a game plan or or are a, are a, are a vision for that team based on on the collaboration between all of you. So players are involved in that process. You're asking you're asking, where do you want to go? How are you going to get there? Are you willing to pay the price to get there? Uh, whatever that means in terms of training or diet, and nutrition, and weights, and, you know, all the other stuff. So, you know, there's obviously a cost to, uh, you know, to any kind of a payoff that you're looking for. But so there's all of those, all of those things are really, really important. And, and I think a lot of people touched on those all the way through. Uh, but for me, and, you know, I'm probably repeating myself at this stage, but the the other side of it, the people skills are are the most, to me, the most important part of it. Um and 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 like you know, questioning was a big part, and a lot of people mentioned questioning. Tony Griffin mentioned it. Alan Keene mentioned it. You know, Paddy Talley spoke about it. Uh, Frank Dick spoke about it. Lots of people. Ron Gara spoke brilliantly about it. Lots of the these coaches, like top top people in their field, you know, talk about the value and the importance of asking people questions, asking whether they are seven, nine, twenty-nine, forty-six. It do, it doesn't matter the power of questioning for coaches is is and again i've said it before i think is the most underutilized tool in in the coaching toolbox we are so uh, we are so quick to to want to show how smart and learned we are by by providing the solution to the problem that's in front of us when and that's okay we 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 can do that but the first thing should be to try and find out, can the player himself or herself, can they find, can, do they know what's going on? Can they find a solution to the problem that's being posed right in front of them? Um, asking them. And that's, and that's the part of, of playing a game. And we stop the game and we say, okay, what what is it that we're seeing right now? And how is it that we can find a solution to that problem? And again, you you would think that under sevens or under nines aren't capable of that level. Of, well, well, they will be if you if you ask them questions. Now you're not putting them under pressure, and you know they don't have to come up with the perfect answer. But if you're asking them the question, suddenly they understand that that now their role in the whole process is far more valued than if you are out there just spitting at them, saying, "Yeah, this is what you need to do. That's what you did wrong. This is what you did wrong. This is what you need to do next time." So if you if you're asking. Nine-year-old Mary or nine-year-old Johnny, and saying, "Okay, so we haven't scored here now in a couple of uh, shots, and you know what? What is it that that's going wrong here? How can we? How can we make this better? How can we become a little bit better at at our scoring here? And maybe Johnny says, oh, well, look, I don't know. I'm I'm just.'" I I can't kick off that leg, or or when I'm doing a layup in basketball, I I don't get my feet right, or whatever it is, whatever whatever it might be, and say okay, well well let's let's really work on it this part. So right now, I don't care if the ball goes over the bar. We're just watching your standing leg and how far that is away from the other one, or whatever it is, whatever point that they bring up. Now we try and find a solution for that. So, so we're 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 empowering that person. And this might sound now like you're saying I'm talking about a nine-year-old. But if you start treating a nine or an 11 or a 13-year-old and you start asking them the questions and you show that you are a very valued participant in this process, that this is not just me as a coach dictating what we need to do. This is me as the coach, including you in where we want to go. Because ultimately, if the player, whether they be 13 or 23, if they're not included in the process, it's going to be a shorter-term thing. Like you want them as as involved in this whole process as they possibly can be. And there's lots of research out there that speaks about intrinsic motivation. And we get intrinsic motivation by starting at a level where we're asking people questions. Because when when I'm asking you questions now, I'm, I'm... I have to think about the question, I have to formulate an answer in my head, and I have to deliver that to you. And then even as I'm saying I'm thinking about it again, and I say, how could I improve that answer that I just gave? So now I know that you're valuing my input. So suddenly, suddenly I'm feeling better about myself and 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 that feeds ultimately along the way to a, a greater sense of intrinsic motivation. And intrinsic motivation, as I spoke about before, is what everybody wants to feel because that that is that leads to a more sustained uh, involvement in whatever that activity it is that you're doing. So the extrinsic stuff is, is me saying, okay, you know, you got to go and you got to go swimming this morning. And if you do that, um, you know, you get whatever, right? We'll, we'll go and buy a toy in Smith's toy store. Uh, and that's your reward. So it's, it's that idea of a carrot carrot and stick kind of thing. Whereas the intrinsic motivation comes from myself I want to go for a swim because I know it's it's good for my health or it's good for my you know physical development or whatever uh, so that's what we want to find and and by asking people questions and by including them in the process by involving them along the way as much as we possibly can that's that's how we do that so I think I'm probably gone off there now martin in a bit of a on a bit of a tangent but your question was about from the various guests. What are the top priorities heading into new season? I, I think it's involving it's involving the participants, involving the players, involving the kids, involving the adults. It's asking questions. It's actually listening, listening to their answers, and then it's it's taking your next step based on what they're telling you. It's it's talking to people. It's being a a, a good person before a good coach. It's listening to what they have to say. If they have stuff going on, of course you gotta take it into consideration and you gotta you gotta see if you can help out in any way you can. But ultimately it's about having 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 that kind of an environment, that kind of a culture where people are really safe to be themselves, to talk about what's going on, to involve you in it, and to make sure, especially, especially if we're talking about underage stuff, that the hour that they're spending with you is the best most serious crack they're ever going to have in that week that they go home and they can't wait until they have the next training session on Saturday or Friday you know whenever it is because I know that that coach when they come down they're fully invested in what I'm doing they're a bit half mad themselves. They're giving high fives and they're doing rolls on the floor and they're kicking ball and they're jumping up and they're playing in the chasing games themselves. And they're the one that's going around tagging people. They're high energy. They're high fun. Um, Are they the greatest technical coach that ever walked the planet? Maybe not. Who knows? But Jesus, I really enjoy the hour that I get to spend doing rugby or football or soccer or basketball or whatever um and that's and that's where we need to get to so they they are the priorities that i think everybody is, has has come with um martina so um yeah i think they're they're the key ones you know okay next one um dr phil carney episode was very good brilliant insight into the science behind small sided games thanks for sharing uh, says rob rob thanks yeah i dr phil carney was very interesting um, you know, one of the things that I think he was really, really strong on, obviously, he's a lecturer above UL and his big area is skill acquisition and how do we help, you know, people, kids, everybody to to um, to acquire skills as well as they can. Um, and one of the big things I took from him, I think, was that, that skill is solving the problem that the moment presents. Uh, it's not the technique. It's not you know, having to drop the ball with your right hand to your right leg or jumping off this foot or making the pass this certain way, skill, in his words, based on the research that he's looked at, is about solving the problem that the moment presents. And and again, he is a huge proponent and, and research backs it up again of of that whole idea of a games-based approach to, to coaching and that the, those kind of drills or specific skill exercises are you know, as he said, kind of a minimal necessary dose, uh, and the big thing is about games give you context for for decision making and for execution of the skills. Um, and I thought that was a really fascinating insight into it, and it just it just kind of reframes, you know, skills uh, and learning and and uh, and how we how how can we create that kind of an environment that helps kids, players, adults to develop skills, you know, as quickly as we possibly can. And how do we sharpen them and how do we keep them sharp and how do we improve them? Um, and again, it's about giving them context uh, because it's about solving the problem that the moment presents. And and like traditionally, I know I would have certainly, and I'm sure most people, when they think of skill, they think of like a, an isolated you know, somebody kicking a a free off the ground, or or somebody ex, you know executing a really spectacular high catch where they're at the peak height and hands reached high up over their head, fielding a ball, or you know in rugby they're throwing a feint and and going and dipping a shoulder, and making a behind the back pass, or we we, we think of these isolated incidents of technique. And, and we classify them as skill oftentimes we do that's the way we're, we're we're kind of programmed to look at skill whereas realistically it's 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 what is the problem that I'm facing right now how can I prepare a player or a team to be able to deal with that problem as effectively as they possibly can maybe it doesn't look as pretty as 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 uh, as other people but it's about getting the job done and you think about skill and I, I play golf. Uh, at times not very well, but I try to play a little bit of golf and you think of somebody like, you know, a Bubba Watson for people who haven't seen Bubba Watson, you know, he's a, he's a lefty who throws every kind of a different shot at, 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 a golf course. Um, big, massive hooks are, are crazy big fades. Um, he is not in any way a pretty swing like a Rory McElroy or anybody like that. But his skill, a lot of the time, maybe not so much right now, but his skill, a lot of the time, is solves the problem that he faces, whether that's a big hook around a tree or, or it's doing something crazy like skimming a ball across water. The guy is incredibly skilled, and and um, and it's a different way of looking at it, whereas you would look at a Rory McIlroy and say that is a beautiful skill, beautiful technique because he's so smooth and, and so graceful in how he does it. Whereas Bubba Watson just has a different way of doing it, but it's still equally effective a lot of the time. Um, small little golfing tangent there for you. but uh, So Phil Carney, yeah, uh, I, I agree that, that Phil's episode, I would highly recommend it for 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 everybody really, but particularly those people that are involved with underage coaching at any sport if you want to learn about how how is it best that i can help my players to improve their skill development and and to continuously get better and to improve what they do i would really listen to that episode and 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 and, and you take a lot from it because again this this guy is a a leading expert in the field and um he's not talking about his own opinion he's talking about evidence based research that he's studied and he's looked at from all sports and all contexts um, and and how it is that we as humans, how do we learn? How do we pick up skills? And and what is the best thing for us to do as as coaches in those situations to see if we can really improve and and uh, and get on with it? You know, um, this one this one is uh, is is one I really enjoyed. Actually, I had a really good conversation with uh, Paddy Talley, who um, obviously is coaching Kerry, but he he told a a great story. Um, and one of the questions that came in here was. Was about about that story specifically, and and I won't go through the question because it's a long one. But it's it's about the story that Patty told about a friend of his who's a father, and he had a son who was playing sport, playing G A, um, and the kid didn't really want to start. He just didn't want to keep going to football. He wasn't enjoying it. It wasn't fun, and and his dad was, you know, he was very anxious that that he would keep going, and he couldn't understand the kid's reticence and what was going on, and. And and ultimately, I think, you know, the story goes that um, basically the kid was going to training and he was playing a game and he'd get back in the car with his dad. And as they were driving home, his dad was just critiquing his performance and, and um, you know, looking at you know, how the kid could improve, how he could do better. You know, his his kicking wasn't good enough or this wasn't good enough and he needs to work on this and the tackling was poor. So by the time the kid got home from, from, from the training session, from the game, even if he had enjoyed it and he had fun with his friends and had fun with his coach, by the time he got out of the car after getting home with his dad, who, and again, his dad thought that he was doing everything right and he was trying to do this from a really good place to help his kid improve and to you know, if he improved and he would enjoy it a little bit more. So his dad was doing it from, from a, from a good place, but was possibly a little bit misguided in terms of the impact that, that his words were having. So Paddy's story was about, look, gave he gave his, he gave his friend a little bit of advice and his advice was, look, just tell your kid for the next, for the next couple of weeks, just don't, don't critique his game. Don't go out in the back, um, you know, go kicking or go throwing ball or do whatever you need to do, but don't be doing it and, as a coaching session, don't coach your own kid for now. Just tell him, you know what? I really, really enjoy watching you play. Um, so for the next couple of weeks, as the story goes, you know, dad didn't say anything else except, you know, every time the, he, you know, he picked up the kid from training or a game, he started telling him, you know what? I really enjoy watching you play. So the, the sort of critique and the the over analysis of of the of the nine or ten year olds performance subsided, and suddenly you know, the enjoyment and then and the fun and, and um and the point that Patty was making was that you know what as as young boys or girls, you know, to have to have your dad or your your mom for that matter as the as the most important adult in their life to really feel that, you know what? It you know, I, I I'm glad I'm making my mom happy, I'm making my dad happy. They're enjoying watching me play. I'm good with that. I feel safe. I feel cool. I can I can I can move on and, and do this. Whereas you know, when you get into the car, and any of us, it doesn't matter what we are—if we're—if it's from work or if it's from anywhere else—and you sit into the car with somebody, and suddenly your performance in that last hour is suddenly getting picked apart piece by piece, uh, and you're being told how you can improve and how you need to improve, that's obviously not something that's going to be a very enjoyable process. So. It just like I I had put out a video a number of months back about it was entitled to drive home and it was very very similar and it was how how a kid came in from a soccer training session into the car with his dad and his dad basically started lambasting him because you know he he just wasn't taking it serious enough and he wasn't like again the kid was nine or ten years of age, um so that that whole idea of as as parents and I would encourage. You know every parent and I am a parent myself I would encourage parents to really listen to that to that story to that Telly one um and take something from it and and we're all doing it I'm guilty of it i I know I'm guilty of it and i i i i'm I'm even conscious of it and i that's why I'm you know I get cross with myself even when i I have the kids in the car and i and i you know I'm trying to subside the, the uh the feeling of actually saying, listen, I think if you did this it would really help your game." not at that moment it doesn't need to happen I can just get in the car the same as you get in your car with your own kids as we all do after every training session or game and we feel we really can improve their game if we tell them this point right here just hold tough don't talk about it just wait till you get home get some food have a glass of water chill out and then a couple of hours later when everything's nice and calm and and everything's you know relaxed we can say you know what you know, the next time you're out there, it might be no harm if you looked at doing, you know, this or that or whatever. Um, but straight after the game, straight after the session, in the car or on the walk home, it is not the place to be critiquing your own child's performance about whatever it is. Now, you know, better off don't don't critique it all. Leave leave it to the coach. Encourage. Tell him you really love watching him play. But it's it's probably not conducive to developing a long-term, sustainable love of sport if every time you play as a child and you come home and suddenly you're getting uh, uh, 10 bullet points on the things that you did wrong over the last hour. Like, if we just think about it as adults, uh, and like, ultimately, we all want our kids to play sport for as long as we possibly can. Because whether they're going to play senior intercounty or international sport or they 're going to do whatever that 's a really tiny, tiny minuscule minority of people that will actually do that, so the benefits of our children playing sport for longer are obviously you know in in the health and and the social and the, all those things that is going to come with it the group of friends that they 're going to make from it. So you want them, you want them playing sports, you want them involved with teams, you want them engaged in the discipline that it takes to to work at something and to develop skills in a particular area. You want all that because it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of positive stuff that can come from being involved in sport for a long term and how transferable those skills will be into, into whatever career path they choose as they get older, whether that's business or whatever they do. It, it, you know, there's hugely transferable skills over, obviously. But I just thought it was really interesting. And and the the question that came in about that was specifically about the story. And it was actually a parent telling me about their own... um their own similar story of 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 how how they themselves were were very similar to that parent, and uh, and and suddenly they kind of tried to alter their behaviour a little bit, and they noticed a, a change of behaviour in their kid because of it. So, you know, it's not it's not hugely um, it's not hugely unusual. We all fall into the trap of times, but I I would urge any parents out there who have kids playing sport. Jesus, just, just be, their, be their parent first and, and worry about being their um uh, their coach a long way down the line. Just make sure that if they keep playing and they're happy to play, well, then, you know, we're not doing too bad after there. Okay, so I'm after rabbiting on for over 40 minutes now, which was probably a little bit longer than I had anticipated, and I, I still haven't got through a few of the questions that, that came in. So, um, look, I just want to say a, a couple of thank yous to finish this whole thing up. It was never really my intention to do a first series, never mind a second series. So I'm, I'm hugely uh, appreciative of all the people who have come on and, and given their time to contribute to this. Uh, I've had, you know, from Tony Griffin and Fionn Fitzgerald, um, you know, Alan Keane, Kieran Donahue, Patty Kelly, Dr. Phil Carney, uh, Frank Dick, Ron Logara. Um, I hope i 'm not forgetting anybody uh, just you know really, really top quality people who gave freely of their time to help out a really good cause in recovery haven uh, and also to contribute their own knowledge to try and help you know kids and coaches benefit along the way from from their own experiences so I want to say a huge thank you to all of those coaches and, and genuinely, you know, really indebted to all of them. I, I took a load of stuff myself, selfishly from the conversations. I, you know, I've, I've really, I've taken bits and pieces from everybody, which I hope everybody else has too, in, in, in listening to these conversations. Um, and then the second part of it is, that, again, I want to reiterate that, you know, I started this last time as a fundraiser for, for, um, Temple Street Children's Hospital in, in uh, Dublin, and this time uh, as a fundraiser for Recovery Haven in Tralee, again, who are an incredibly, incredibly good organisation who provide the best kind of support services that you could ever imagine for, for families who are dealing with with, uh, with cancer for people in Kerry and, and beyond. So a uh, huge thank you to PST, to Off the Ball and News Talk. Um, you know for distributing this and, and for getting it to so many ears um so really really appreciative of everybody's help i hope hopefully you've you've picked up something along the way whether it's from from one of the conversations with with uh one of the coaches or or whatever um thank you for listening uh you never know maybe we'll we'll uh we'll do it again sometime but for now we'll we'll wrap it up um And enjoy the seasons ahead, whether you're on the grass or on a court or wherever you are, ask more questions, listen a little bit more, get to know people a little bit better, keep getting to know people. Frank Dick had a great line where he said, you know, a man can never cross the same river twice because the river is never the same, nor the person is never the same. Um, So just because you get to know a kid one year doesn't mean he's not going through different stuff this year. Get to know them again, ask questions, find out who they are. Be good people, be good coaches, and enjoy the ride. It's good fun. There's a lot more serious stuff out there. Take care, everybody. Talk soon.